My name is Mike Sayers, and I will be your tour guide through the scriptures today. So um, that I'm good at it, that I don't bore you with the truth of the gospel, the most exciting thing I've ever known. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give me not only the wisdom to speak your word, but the boldness to speak your word. Because sometimes, as in tonight's message, it's not exactly what we all want to hear. So I ask that you would not only help me, but open hearts and minds to the truth of your word. Help us to trust you with our lives and the future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reading a bit about the life of a Romanian pastor named Richard Wormbrand. He probably wrote, I don't know, scores of books in his lifetime. But the one that he's most remembered for is a book called Tortured for Christ. He became a believer in his native Romania. And the communist takeover didn't do him any favors uh, because he was a man after God's heart, uh, a man who encouraged others in the faith. He was arrested on his way to church, actually, and put into a series of prison sentences that were quite horrible. For one time, I think he was in solitary confinement for three years in a cell 12 feet underground, no windows, no light. There's a story about one of his guards who was particularly cruel and would beat Richard. It said that, that Richard's feet, the soles of his feet were beaten until there was no more flesh left on them. And then they were left to heal for a day or two, and then they would beat them again down to the bone. But he was a Christian man. He was devoted to Christ, and he decided to repay evil with good, cruelty with kindness. And the odd thing that happened was that, as is the case in totalitarian regimes, Sometimes those who are in power fall out of favor. And so his, his jailer, his guard, actually, was thrown into prison with him. And as a fellow prisoner, this guard was much afraid, as he should have been. And it was Richard who made sure that he was kept safe even though he had been on the receiving end of a lot of intent from this guy. And it was through that kind of a witness that the guard came to Christ himself. You hear stories like that. It's really hard to relate to in America because we enjoy such religious freedom. I mean, the most... Persecution, I think, that we as Christians 
endure is maybe some ridicule in the classroom, people laughing about our church-going activities at work, neighbors thinking we're weird because we leave every Sunday morning to go to church or every Sunday night to go to church. We listen to weird music, those kinds of things. We have no idea, no idea what it means to be persecuted for the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul, whose book of Philippians we're studying, was no stranger to being persecuted for his faith. I mean, just spreading the faith wasn't exactly fun for him. There's a a map, I think. We can show it. Okay, we'll take it in a second. But if you can see, um, over here in the lower right-hand corner is Judea, Jerusalem, Israel, that area. And these are Paul's missionary journeys. If you go to the upper left, there's Macedonia. That's where Philippi is. It's a journey of about 1,000 miles. It's not 1,000 miles by train. It's not 1,000 miles by car. It's 1,000 miles in creaky wooden boats and by foot. And it weren't, they weren't, there weren't interstates, they weren't patrolled regularly by police. I mean, you took your life in your own hands when you undertook a journey of that length. It would take months to get there. Just the journey alone is suffering. What was it that Jesus told Paul at his conversion? He told Ananias, actually. I will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is just the journey. And we talked about Paul being in Philippi. What happened when Philippi? Thrown into prison, beaten with rods, stuck in the inner dungeon. No windows, no light, no bathrooms, no mess hall, no rec room. No weight room, no basketball court. There was bread and water. And so now, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians, those people in the upper left-hand corner, from another jail someplace in the empire. We don't know where he's writing from. He was jailed several times in conditions back then were not much better than they were for Richard Wormbrand just in the early part of the 1900s. Usually Roman prisons were a hole in the ground, a cave, an old quarry that they would put a roof on top of. There were shackles in the walls. There were stocks on the floor. Prisoners stood in one place, or had a short change so they could maybe lie down. You slept in your own waist. And when the Philippians hear that Paul is in prison again, they send a guy named Epaphroditus, we'll find out this later in the book, 
They sent a guy named Epaphroditus to go and try and take care of some of Paul's needs in the jail from which he's writing this letter. And so Paul actually writes the letter to send back with Epaphroditus to let them know what's going on. And so last week, Leonor talked about the opening of that letter, grace and peace to you. And he starts praying for them, which is pretty customary in terms of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And then he begins the actual meat of his letter. Let's put that up there. Oh, we're going to go to some background. Go ahead. So the Apostle Paul from prison. Keep going. It's an epistle, meaning it's a letter. The date is 50 to 62 AD, probably around 61 maybe. And these are the themes of his letter, friendship, partnership with the gospel, suffering, Christ-likeness, joy, giving prayer, perseverance, reward. That's the background of the book of Philippians. All right. Here is the first part of the letter in the NIV. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's the way he starts, I want you to know... This just wasn't like a phrase that he picked out of thin air. This is a pretty common phrase that they would use back then in a letter when you're getting to the heart of the matter. So they got letters from a soldier to his mom. And he opens with the standard greetings of the day, and then he says, Now I want you to know, mother, meaning, okay, about what you're concerned about, Here's the meat of the letter. So Paul's saying, okay, here's the meat. And I'm thinking, what the Philippians want to know is, how are you doing, Apostle Paul? We love you. You started our church. You were there. You helped heal us. You taught us. But Paul doesn't dwell on his own aches and pains, which is totally unlike a lot of old people I know. You guys ever meet really old people? It's like all they want to talk about is, you know, how their feet hurt or how their back hurts or, you know, how they get dizzy. or It's, 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 it's crazy. I remember there's this woman named Opal Klein. She just died a couple weeks ago. I, I helped with her funeral. She was an early supporter of mine. I knew her grandson. Her grandson was part of Scum of the Earth for quite some time, Nathan Klein. And Opal was one of those people that... When you talk to her, she would ask you all about how you were doing. And after a while, you're thinking, wait a minute. This is kind of one-sided. I have no idea how Opal's doing. And so you would ask Opal, Opal, how are you doing? And this is the kind of thing Opal would say. She said it to me on a couple different occasions. And she said it to others as well. Oh, well, you know, I could complain. But nobody really wants to hear that anyway. And then she'd ask you a question. Vernon Grounds used to do the same thing over at Denver Seminary. You could never get the guy to talk about himself. Here the Apostle Paul has people who want to know how he's doing. They've sent a guy all the way from Philippi to whatever prison he's at to try and take care of him. And they want to know how he is. And so he gives you the big intro. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. And then he starts talking about the gospel. Not about his aches and pains. I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance 
the gospel, the good news about Jesus. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because let me tell you about my chains. Let me tell you, this is the amazing thing. The word of God is spreading among the soldiers here. This is an audience I would not ever be able to talk to if I were not chained up in this prison. Isn't that great? And more than that, because I'm here, other people are being encouraged, maybe because they're worried about the word not getting out since I'm in chains, or maybe because they're going, gee, if Paul can preach the gospel, he's in chains, I certainly can do it here in my own house. Other people, brothers and sisters, are getting encouraged to talk about Jesus all the more. Isn't that great? These are the only verses we're doing today. This is it. But we're going to read it in the message. So let's see if that's up. Here it is from the message. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has the opposite effect of its intended effect. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here, and everyone else too, found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. Can you imagine guarding the Apostle Paul? It'd be nonstop, nonstop preaching at you your whole entire shift. Not only that, but what if God gave him some kind of word of knowledge? And he started talking about your life that you hadn't told anybody. Because that happened with the Apostle Paul. What if you came into work one day? And, you know, you had wrenched your back the day before and you could hardly move. And the prisoner lays his hands on you and heals you. I mean, I, this, these are all conjecture on my part. But not outside the ministry of the Apostle Paul and other places. Wouldn't that make you a little bit more interested in Christianity? I think it would. And you're getting, you know, who knows? Four to eight hours of sermons a day, maybe 12 hours, by the Apostle Paul himself. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. I'm sure they have. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. Just amazing to me. Just amazing to me. So what has happened to the Apostle Paul? Suffering. Suffering. And what I want to say is this. It appears to me, from reading this passage, 
that suffering is vital. Suffering is vital in a way that success can never be vital. Let me repeat this. Your suffering is vital in terms of the gospel in a way that your success could never be vital. Because this is what happens. Two things happen. Number one, it proclaims Christ in a very humble way that success can't. When people watch you suffering, and you're a Christian, maybe for Christ, because you're a Christian, you're suffering. They see the way that the bosses treat you at work because you're a Christian, because you ask for Sunday nights off, because you believe that all those old fairy tales really are true after all. Because you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and everything visible and invisible. Because you believe that there is a spiritual world, that there is an invisible world. That when your coworkers see you suffering under perhaps the unjust actions of your bosses, You proclaim Christ in a way that success never could. Back when I worked at the steel mill, um, I got in trouble. And I got in trouble really because I was a Christian. Um, We uh, would work hard. I mean, it was a steel mill. It was physical labor. We worked in this giant warehouse. It was not heated in the winter, nor was it cooled in the summer. And um, I believed because of my Christianity that I should give my employer a full day's wage, a full day's work for a full day's wage. And so when they told me my breaks were 15 minutes and my lunch was half an hour, I said, okay, fine. I will work all the rest of the time. And so my foreman and the rest of the crew and I would go on break Two hours into the first shift, the shift, we stay for 15 minutes in the warm little break room. Then it was time to go back out in the freezing Michigan cold to do more work with the steel. And I remember asking around, aren't you guys going back out there? Like, I'm getting my stuff back on, I'm ready to go out. And they're going, no, no, no. Big boss isn't around, we're going to stay here. So uh, I go, well, I kind of got to go out. And they didn't, I didn't say, I got to go out because I'm a Christian. I got to go out because I'm better than you guys. I just felt like I didn't want to steal from my employers. Honestly, I did not want to be accused on the last day of stealing from my employers. So I went out there. Now, I'm just... Minding my own business, right? I'm out there. I pick up the air grinder. I turn it on. I start doing my thing to the steel. What do you think the guys in the break room are talking about? Me. 
there's that guy out there making us all look bad. I wasn't trying to make him look bad. My foreman couldn't figure out why I was doing this. Because he wanted to take longer breaks. So they came up with a solution. Let's send Mike to do the worst jobs possible far away from the rest of the crew. And you can get some pretty nasty jobs in a steel mill. And so that's what I did. I will shuttle off to do the worst jobs possible. Why? Because I was trying to follow Jesus. Now, that's just what happens. This is the weird thing. A couple of the guys in my crew decided to take it even further because they knew that I was trying to be a pure man. They would uh, start to taunt me. Um, when we talked about porn, I would tell them that I was trying not to look at porn. Literally opened my locker one day to find it plastered with centerfolds. They were going to get me to look at porn one way or the other. And then came all the verbal abuse, right? Day after day after day. Here's the crazy thing. Sometimes the people who give you the hardest time about your faith are the people who are struggling the hardest against Jesus because Jesus is after them and they know it. Unbeknownst to me, my primary opponent, Brady, was one of those guys. I came into work one day, and Brady had become a Christian the night before. And he comes up to me, and he starts talking to me about how great it is, and how wonderful God is, and how free he feels, and, and how forgiven he feels. And, and, he's, and he started talking to me about you know, and I just want, I need to ask your forgiveness. I go, why? Because of all the crap I gave you for so long. But he went on to tell me he was watching me and watching my response to every bad thing he said, every bad thing he did, every unjust treatment that I was given. Look, I'm not saying this because I want you to think more of me. I'm saying real life example about as tough as it gets in America. Not that tough. It was like 1982 when I was making 12.50 an hour. It wasn't that bad. But it can be. So the two things are that suffering proclaims Christ in a way that success can't. And that it also, it also energizes other people around you to preach the gospel, to do the right thing, to be Christians. That's what it does. It's wonderful that way. People get encouraged because you're bearing up. You're doing the hard thing. Other Christians begin talking more about Jesus with boldness, not just at work but other places. Fine and good. We could all go home right now, right? But we're not. Because 
This raises a problem. Do you mean to tell me, Paul, that God could allow me to go through suffering merely to advance the gospel? Is that what you're saying? Are you telling me that God not only can use my suffering when it happens unjustly, but that in some cosmic sense, God who could stop me from suffering lets it happen so that Jesus Christ's kingdom might be expanded. Isn't that a hard one? You know what the answer is? Take a guess. Yes. The answer is yes. I don't know what weekend camp with young life, the greatest weekend of your life, as we always like to say, full of fun and games and good-looking counselors. You accept that Jesus is your Savior. I don't know what church conference you went to where there was this amazing worship band and there were like smoke pods and the laser light show and the jumbotrons and people were screaming and shouting and praising for hours on end. And it was just wonderful. And they told you if you came to Christ, you would be with Jesus in heaven, worshiping with all the saints and the angels forever and ever. And it would be even more awesome than that. I don't know if you came to Jesus because you wanted a life Fulfilled, you wanted fire insurance to get away from hell. Maybe you came to Jesus because it was the right thing to do, and all good little boys and good little girls bow their heads and fold their hands and ask Jesus into their hearts. But that's only half the story. That's only half the story. The other half is count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when all sorts of trials come your way because you know, James says in his epistle, that these things have a purpose. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. That if God allowed Jesus to go through suffering in order to extend his kingdom, that he would allow you to go through suffering to extend his kingdom. And what is his kingdom? His kingdom is peace. His kingdom is 
goodness and self-control and love, justice. It's helping those in need. It's giving to the poor. It's healing the sick. It's proclaiming freedom to the captives. God thinks that's so important that, yes, it's worth suffering for. And if you haven't heard it before, I'm telling you here tonight, February 19th, 2012, that you will suffer as part of the kingdom of God and that you're suffering. This is the great thing about God. He can take something as evil as suffering and make something good come out of it. He makes diamonds out of skata. I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul is enjoying his suffering. I'm not even saying the Apostle Paul is calling his suffering good. It's evil. But the amazing thing about Jesus, about the Lord, about the gospel, is that it can take something as terrible as suffering and make good come out of it. Now, there's a couple different ways suffering enters our lives, right? Sometimes suffering happens because we live in a fallen world. What's that phrase? Blank happens, right? Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. We're just stupid, you know? You change lanes and you don't look before you change lanes. Suffering ensues. Maybe some physical problems. Maybe just financial problems. Maybe you can't drive for a while. Sometimes suffering happens because of our stance for Christ. But make no mistake, nobody in this world gets out of here without suffering. It's, it's coming. It's, it's not an if, it's a when. It's coming down the pike. And the question I think that the Apostle Paul brings up in this part of Philippians is, when that suffering hits you, how do you respond? How will that be perceived by the people around you? As a testimony to Christ? Are they going to look and say, wow, I could never handle that problem like you're handling that problem. I could never be joyful in the middle of that kind of despair. Your faith is amazing, Is it possible that I could have the same kind of faith at some point down the road in my life? And could it be possible that your reaction to the suffering that's inevitably coming in your life could cause other people around you in the body, your brothers and sisters, people sitting in front of you and behind you and next to you in this room to say, that's what I want my life to be like. You know what? God is great. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk about Jesus all the more because that guy's so awesome. Because that girl is so awesome. It really is real. Suffering. 
somehow in America, we think that it's by gaining power and authority that the gospel is preached more effectively. If we can only get our guy or our gal in office, if we get our people elected, then you'll see the kingdom of God in this country. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, if you're a Republican or Democrat, if we can only get our people elected, then we'll see the justice of the kingdom of God prevail in the great society. We'll see the poor fed. We'll see the homeless housed. We'll see those without jobs working again. It doesn't matter either side. What I'm trying to say is this. Those approaches are not as effective as suffering. Success is not all it's cracked up to be. God says that my power is perfected in weakness. I give grace to the humble. I resist the proud. So next time you encounter a situation in your life where you're going through legitimate suffering, take heart. Get excited. Because people are watching. God is making sure that they're watching, both unbelievers and believers. And your response in the proper way will encourage them both toward Christ. Trying to come up with examples of American suffering is hard because it usually has to do with more with not getting something you want as opposed to really being tortured. But I'll do my best. Let's suppose you're single. You don't want to be. In fact, you hate being single. You hate going home alone. For you, it's suffering, emotional distress. You have the opportunity to cut that suffering short with the guy that you meet at the club, with the girl that you met in class. Even though that guy or that girl aren't the right person for you, it would relieve some of that loneliness for a while. But you respond by trusting in Christ that he will take care of your needs. That you're going to wait for the right kind of a person. You don't think people are watching you? Or better yet, you thought you met the right person. You got married. Now things aren't going so well. You still love that person, but you're not in love with that person anymore. 
really it's just a Christian obligation that keeps you together. And then, you know, start thinking about your freedom, what life was like beforehand. You know, there's no lonely like married lonely. You thought you were lonely when you were single. But this is worse because you're not supposed to be lonely anymore. Do you break the vow? Do you give your heart to another? There's suffering involved there. People are watching. Both Christians and non-Christians are watching. Your response to that suffering matters. I pray that none of us has to go through the kind of suffering the Apostle Paul went through or that Richard Wormbrand went through or that the Christians in Fidel Castro's Cuba had to go through in the middle part of the 1900s. But do you know the weird thing is that the church in Cuba grew exponentially under the persecution of the communist regime there? Do you know that the church in China has exploded in numbers during some of the worst persecution in the history of the world? Do you know that that people in totally 100% Muslim countries are having visions of Jesus beginning to come together as believers, preaching the word and then suffering all kinds of persecution? In Pakistan, it's not just persecution from Muslims, but persecution from Hindus, just for being Christians. Don't think it can't happen anywhere. It can. If it ever does, do not despair. Because God has a plan for suffering that will bring more glory to Christ than your success ever could bring to Christ. Maybe someday, maybe someday way, way in the future, if you're in that kind of situation, Christians will be encouraged by your letters from prison. It's possible. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, none of us wants to suffer. You didn't want to suffer. You said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But you also said, not what I will, but what you will be done. Lord Jesus, we ask that when it comes turn for us to suffer, that you would give us a peace of your heart 
the same kind of a heart you gave to the Apostle Paul. That your gospel would be preached and that your word would go out in the most wonderful ways and that we might be one with you in your suffering even as we will also be one with you in the resurrection and the glory to come. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen.